Blood Brothers Podcast, a Five Pillars Production. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh my dear brothers, sisters, friends and the foes out there Welcome to another episode of the Blood Brothers Podcast with your host Dili Hussain Before I introduce today's very special and esteemed guest I want to remind all the avid podcast listeners that you can find this podcast on all the audio platforms Spotify, Apple, Google and everywhere else And of course those of you who are tuning in via YouTube, remember to click subscribe Today's guest is a very special brother and a very special individual in the sense that of the experience and the scandal that this person has found himself in that that basically rocked the British media scene as well as the educational sector at the heart of the UK. He himself comes from an educationalist background uh, in governance. Uh, he has an MA in Islamic studies and is someone who has ran and uh, been a on the board of uh, various academies, uh, namely in uh, Birmingham and West Midlands, that is none other than Brother Tahir Alam. Assalamu alaikum. Barakam salam alhamdulillah. Jazakallah for inviting me here. Barakallah feek for coming on. Was that introduction accurate? It was accurate enough. Okay. Um, I mean, the only thing I would add is that I was chair of the board of uh, trustees for the Parkview Educational Trust. Okay. And uh, I worked in governance for about 20 years, really running schools, improving schools um, in the inner city ring areas. So I'm very much um, uh, an ordinary person, really, uh, from the city of Birmingham and uh, Alam Rock in particular. Mashallah, the rock. The, that's right. Yeah. The rock. <laughs> the rock, Shiri. Everyone knows about the rock when it comes to Birmingham. Alhamdulillah. Um, so with the correct word to describe your professional background, being an educationalist, right? That you, you were within the educational sector, not necessarily as, not as a teacher, but more from a governance point of view, right? Yeah, I graduated in mechanical production, but I hated production engineering and working in sort of uh, car manufacturing in industry and so on. So I worked in telecoms and then eventually um, in 2003, I came full time in education in governance training and school improvement. And then I worked as an Ofsted inspector as well. How long um, were you an Ofsted inspector for? Uh, for about four years, I inspected schools. Uh, but mainly uh, school governance was my main involvement and I ran uh, Parkview Educational Trust which ran three uh, academies uh, which was Parkview Academy, Golden Hillock Academy and Nansen Academy. So it's like a chain of schools, a multi-academy trust. So today's podcast is primarily to do with what was known as the Trojan Horse scandal or the Trojan Horse plot which we now for sure, at least on Five Pillars and the Blood Brothers, we can say was a hoax and a scandal. Um, and I guess this story has resurfaced with more media attention as a result of a podcast that was carried out by New York Times, um, a very popular podcast that was carried out by New York Times a couple of months ago. Um, and it's had a lot of attention. I believe one of the co-hosts was a gentleman from Birmingham himself, was it not? Brother Hamza, he was from Birmingham. Yes, he was a former doctor, yeah. Former doctor. Now, please feel free to correct me at any time during this podcast, I hereby, if I get any of the facts or the chronology wrong, right? Now, for our listeners who are not from the UK, we do have a fair amount of listeners from North America and across Europe. The Trojan Horse scandal or at the time we were described as a plot was to do with 
an agenda, a plan by a group of teachers and governors to Islamize schools, to Islamify or Islamize schools in Birmingham. And it all apparently started from an anonymous letter. Tell me a bit about this anonymous letter. Yeah, this letter is known as the uh, Trojan Horse Letter, popularly. And uh, this letter appeared in November 2013. And in this letter, a claim is made. um, And the claim basically says that that there is uh, an attempt uh, by Muslims, and it names me in particular, Tahir Alam, as being at the center of this particular, the Trojan Horse operation, so to speak, and that I was... um, you know, introducing and Islam into the schools, and that was Islamizing the schools, and that um, we were, if, if you like, pu- putting our own people into positions of power. And the fact that I was influential, and uh, I was also um, working very closely with some people in Birmingham, a local education authority as well, in mm-hmm. like a local council. And so he says that you know I was perpetuating this kind of plot to take over lots of schools. And when this particular letter landed on the Birmingham City Council's um, a table, uh, they referred it to the police, and the police, it was not of interest to them. They said of there's course. nothing ille- illegal here or anything inappropriate happening. They then passed it on to the counter-terrorism unit uh, because it had to do with Islamization of, of schools and their allegations that extremist views were being promoted within the schools and so on. So those were the allegations, so they were referred to them. And the counterterrorism unit also concluded that there was no, uh, there was no matter of interest to them either, because the persons involved, like myself, for example, I mean, they may have done some checks or whatever, and they said, well, this person is not of interest to us; is nothing to do with what people are suggesting. Do you? And fi- it was left there, basically. Do you find it abnormal or normal that the fact that the city council took it to so many different authorities? Do, do you think that was a bit of a knee-jerk from themselves, considering the letter was anonymous? Well, what was surprising was that they never spoke to me. I was an employee of the council. I was, I was responsible for training governors in 70 different schools in the city. So I was a, wow. a sort of governor trainer. So they never spoke to me, and I was an employee. I mean, this second uh, letter had been circulating for a good couple of months. Uh, and the city council, uh, when I did eventually speak to the city council, their legal officer, uh, and I said, how come I've not been spoken to on this issue uh, as I was an employee uh, as well? And he said, uh, Mr. Alam, quite frankly, we don't consider it, this letter to have be genuine at all. We consider it to be uh, uh, basically bogus. Mm. And therefore, we didn't feel the need to pursue it with yourself. And that was the reason why it was never taken up. And that's what the city council believed. And this is from one of the legal officers uh, in the department. When did that conversation happen in terms of a timeline? So if the letter was November 2013, at what mm. point did the council uh, legal rep say to you that this is not something of our concern? This was after the story broke in the media. So the letter went to the uh, city council in November sometime, but the letter eventually made its way um, sort of early February, late January, it made its way to the Department for Education. And this is when the whole thing took a different direction. So the reaction of the Birmingham City Council was a bit different at that stage. When it landed on the desk of uh, this then Secretary of State of Education, Michael Gove, <laughs> it was given a completely different level of importance. Of now, what we know now, uh, quite incredibly, is that what we know now is that Michael Gove at the time was told by Birmingham City Council that the letter was fraudulent, 
that is bogus, that they did not actually attribute, didn't afford it any credibility. He was told all of that. But in spite of being told that, and the letter being unsigned, undated... A crusade was launched. Yeah, uh, basically a, an offensive, an attack was launched against uh, our academy chain and eventually ended up in the, in, in the uh, investigation and the inquiry into 21 different schools. Uh, with the inquiry was, the, these investigations were done through Ofsted as well as other government agencies as well. The 21 schools, uh, all in Birmingham? All in Birmingham, all predominantly uh, populated by, you know, Muslims basically, Muslim population. So okay. our schools, for example, we, we run three academy schools. Mm-hmm. They're in the eastern side of the Birmingham to give listeners some kind of a profile where we are with all of that. Yeah. So Birmingham has, um, you know, lots of schools with vast majority children are Muslims. So Parkview had 90, 99% of our children were of the Islamic faith background. Of course. And uh, similar was the case for the other schools we're running. And there were such, there are quite a few schools of that composition in Birmingham. So all of those schools were targeted, um, you know, by the uh, by the government agencies, uh, triggered, of course, by the Secretary of State for Education at the time, Michael Gove, who ordered Ofsted to look at all of these schools. And, and the media hype surrounding all of that meant that we were under attack from multitude of directions, um, in not just the government agencies and the local uh, government as well, uh, but also media um, uh, also. Now, obviously, in the context of post-9-11, post-7-7, the war on terror, this kind of story would have been the perfect kind of sensationalist tabloid story that many British newspapers would have run with, and they did run with it. It just falls into that otherization, that kind of Muslims uh, looking to plot and take over the UK and, 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 and establish something that's clearly not the agenda or even the spoken mm. objective of any Muslims in the UK, I must add to that. But let's just run with the fact that we now know that the Birmingham City Council informed the DFE and Michael Gove that, look, we gave no precedence or credence to this letter. Do you feel that your employees at the time could have done more to push back on central government and say, hey, look, you know, this is quite a heavy-handed approach for something we didn't give much credence to? I think at the time, I do know that there were uh, reluctant participants. I do know that because Birmingham had the letter in November. If they thought it was serious and if they were minded to pursue it, they would have done so. But they didn't mm. uh, because they didn't think it was credible at all. Uh, but as we know that Michael Gove has particular views about Muslims and about Islam course, and yes. those kind Very of well things. And, and mentioned in his book, Celsius 7-7, draining the swamp, so, so to speak, and so on. Yep. So that's very, very clear. So he had a mindset, if you like, mm. uh, putting it that way. He had a mindset where, you know, this idea of uh, participation by Muslims in what is an ordinary school, and vast majority of children are from these communities, you'd expect the governing bodies to be uh, influenced and shaped by those communities. This Absolutely. is very normal uh, because Britain operates a stakeholder model. That is that local people participate in the governance and the running of their schools and so on. And that's what exactly it was. I was a former pupil at Parkview School, so I wasn't somebody who came in, infiltrated the school or anything. Um, I could hardly infiltrate a school, which is 99% Muslim anyway, and Islamize it. Yeah. So you can see the kind of accusation, yeah. the absurdity of the accusation. Uh, is quite clear. But I think what's really important, uh, Dili, when we're talking about this particular intervention, is that I got involved in these schools 
um, many years before in the late 90s, 97 to be exact. Why? When I joined this particular school, um, there was, um, what triggered it actually was that, you know, there was a a Panorama program, BBC Panorama program that came on and it highlighted the, um, uh, the failure of Muslim children in these inner city ring schools. All of these schools were underachieving grossly. Um, and the title of the program was Underclass in Perda, meaning that if this educational failure of these children continues at the rate and the level which at its failing, mm-hmm. a bit like, say, blacks in America, for example, course, yeah, yeah. System, systemic failure stretching decade after decade, mm-hmm. that if this continues, this level of failure underachievement continues, then we will create an underclass of communities, if you like, yeah. which will be more vulnerable to crime and, and, and those kind of activities and poverty and so on. So this was the program. So I, I watched this program and I thought I, I should do something about that because I just graduated not so long ago really in um, mechanical production engineering working in telecommunication sector. So I thought I should do something. And that's why I got involved. So when I joined, the irony, the funny thing is that when I joined this school, the results of the schools were 4% including English and maths. That means that four children out of every 100 would actually get what is called a passport, like a reasonable pass you know a stars to see in five or more subjects so the failure rate you can see is quite colossal and it's one of the poorest um performing schools in the country what year did you join as a director i became a governor in this school 1997 okay so 97 you became a governor of parkview parkview school yeah at that time it wasn't academy at the time just a school yeah so so just tell us the 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 chronology of yourself and the parkview so, yeah, so I, I joined the school. The school was in what is referred to normally as a special cat, uh, special measures. So when a school is inspected by Ofsted, which is a national inspection agency, of course. and if the results are very poor and it's being poorly run, failing the children, they normally fail the school and put it into what is called special measures. measures. Yep. So the school was in special measures. It's one of the reasons why, why the, they were looking for more governors. I became a governor. Some parents invited me to get involved and I became a governor. So the funny thing is that we then began to improve the school. It's too much of a detail of a story, but we improved the school. Tell us about some of the changes you incorporated. Because yeah, you went to outstanding in how many years? Yeah, so the school basically, when it was inspected in 2012, uh, the results went 4% to 75%. On wow. the day that I resigned, the results of schools were school, school were consistently in the 70s. Wow. So that was the transformation, really, which was against all odds. And it was breaking national trends, if you like in terms of uh, school improvement. Can I ask you something squarely? Mm. Would you would you say that some of the, the, the success, the trajectory, the gradual success of the school was an attempt at Islamifying the school? Did you ever try Islamifying the school or Islamizing the school? I mean, taking account of the pupil population, we did obviously accommodate, as did many of the schools, try to accommodate the needs of the children that were being served by the school. Which is re- which is legally allowed on the Equalities Act. Absolutely, but it's, one of the yeah. one, it's one of the nine protected identities, That's right? right, yeah. Okay, cool. So you're allowed to, uh, you know, accommodate the needs of the children. We were doing that. So under English uh, um, law, for example, you know, there is, for example, somebody called something called the Act of Collective Worship, okay, uh, which uh, which has to be mainly broadly of Christian character, Assemb- assuming a Christian background, Assemb- like an assembly, assembly hymns, yeah, yeah, okay. kind of thing. So we applied for a determination. So we would do Islamic acts of collective worship, which is within the legal requirement according to all the rules and regulations. We did that. Would the non-Muslims were, were any non-Muslims required people required to participate in that? No, they were not required to. Part- the few Muslims that they were, they were catered for in other ways. Okay, were there any Diwali or Christmas plays? Or Nativity plays. 
they were not Diwali nativity plays, but these festivals, obviously, as part of Ari, we taught about those things. Okay. And a respectful attitude towards all faiths, really. That's just a normal okay. part of the curriculum. So we did that. So we didn't have any children of those backgrounds. So we were not going to start celebrating uh, you know, every festival, if you like, in that sense. But And are you saying that's something that's acceptable under British law? The English yeah, law. absolutely. So school, for example, did we had teachers who were Christian. We had few children who were Christian as well. Right. So the school did celebrate Christian uh, Christmas, for example. They always mm. uh, annually they always had uh, Christmas trees in reception. Uh, you know, very visual uh, okay. sign of that. And yeah, also, so these accusations that we were somehow not celebrating all the people within the school is uh, these allegations are completely fallacious and they are baseless. What about mm. what about things pertaining to? Um, segregation between boys mm. and girls uh, in classes. Yeah, there was Is no it? segregation at all. I mean, there's no such accusation. No accusation has been uh, made against me that this was the case. The, mm. uh, the the, the only references they make is to the area of PE. And mm. PE, of course, in the vast majority of schools it's in the UK, segregated. of course, is segregated, segregated anyway. Exactly. Okay, so there's no segregation of any kind. It was a mixed school. All the classes were mixed, just like in any other school, quite frankly. And I think it's important to also add five views and mm. listeners, right? Just, just to give some of my mm. two pence on this. I don't know how you guys were when you were young. Boys always played with boys, girls always played with girls. I tell you straight. If you were, a, mm. if you, when we were not, I'm 33 coming on 34 now. And I recall when I was in lower school and middle school, if you were a lad who played with girls, it or housey or, it wasn't normal. You Boys would play with boys and girls mm. would play with girls. And, and that applied to even when I went to my upper school, which is predominantly non-Muslim, mm. Jambanyan upper, Boys chilled with boys and girls chilled with girls, right, mainly, yeah. right? Yeah. And so even when, even when I heard this at the time, 2013, 14, 15, I was thinking, what is this? Mm. Whatever you're accusing Parkview and these other schools of, I'm sure the vast majority of schools That's across right. England are exactly yeah, yeah. like this. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's no active segregation between the genders outside of PE, which is normal, right? Your music, drama... These classes, these, these lessons? Mean, segregation isn't more broadly within education policy. Uh, you have uh, an all-boys schools, and yeah, all including school. Eton, and you have all-girls schools. <laughs> so nobody really has an issue with that anyway, generally speaking. Absolutely. But it was convenient for people to actually, uh, you know, try to use these tropes about Muslims that we were, you know, somehow... <clears throat> you know, uh, reducing opportunities for children or we were imposing certain Islamic norms on them and those kind of things. But that was never, ever the case, really. So I think that <clears throat> the um, the accusations that were being printed in the media, media actually very much, as the podcast reveals, they suspended their normal kind of judgment. Of course they You did. know, and investigative journalism they to do, corroborate you, facts. Yeah. They, they didn't do any of those things. So whatever somebody said, they just, they, <clears throat> they just basically printed it. Okay. And that's the way... The whole thing was happening. So, as I said at the time, really, that the entire uh, depiction of the schools and even indeed the people within those schools was a, quite a, uh, it was a fictional narrative, you know, because I didn't recognize any of those descriptions regarding the school or the people that were involved in running those schools. So, so we were 4%, I was saying earlier. The 4% so we were set, so, Yeah. So the day I resigned, of course, in 2014, uh, the results were in the 70s and the school was put in off, uh, into special measures by Ofsted again at a result of 75%. Wow. Not for reasons of academic achievement or whatever, but because for other factors, yeah. And, um, and because uh, this was part of, you know, as I always said, really, this was part of a more of a witch hunt than anything else. Okay. So, so the results, so, so the... 
so the outcome was already determined. People were just looking for ways and means of trying to do that. And the media offensive was one of the justifications to create a moral panic of course. in the whole country. And the entire school and what we were doing, actually our, our academy trust, was depicted as some kind of a national threat. And therefore, you know, anything you did as a politician and through the political arms uh, of the government became to be seen to be quite reasonable. But of course, in the end, as you know, and those who are a little bit familiar with the case, in the end, all the reports, they said that no extremism was found. 100%. So the pretext was extremism. Everything was done on the back of that. But and, in the and, end, and, and official Islamist reports, yeah. no extremism cases were found. No, no radicalization agenda was found. Mm -hmm. So this was what, what was the, 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 the view. This was the reason and the justification from the outset. However, people didn't want to actually go back and say we were wrong. They didn't want to do that. So what they did then was they said, oh, we didn't find that one, but we did find some mis misogynistic views held by some people. Or a book somewhere, something yeah. like this. I think, was there, was there a few? Yeah, they didn't find any books or anything, but okay. they, the other accusations were that, oh, yeah, some governance practices were not up to date. Um, you know, some technical records regarding governance requirements were not up to date. Mm. And that we found some people expressing, not that he was promoted in the school, there was no evidence or no it's suggestion. Individuals, individuals had those views, yeah. Okay. So there was this like WhatsApp group that was disclosed and some teachers made some comments which were, you know, uh, very inappropriate and, yeah. and, uh, and kind of hateful, you might say. So then they were used actually to say, oh, uh, although, you know, there was no extremism and no radicalization or anything of the kind these here, teachers, these teachers but they were up to views. no good anyway. So okay. we will. And, and then okay. they went for barring people and so on. And all the people had to eventually. So this whole campaign lasted for about five and a half months. Mm. So it wasn't a short campaign. It's crazy how we forget how professionals, even amongst colleagues and staff, behave in WhatsApp groups. We know how police officers sometimes, uh, you know, the kind of engagement and discourse mm. they have with each other in a group which is considered a private space, as do teachers, as do lawyers, as all kind of professionals when you're in a group. It doesn't make it right. I guess what I'm saying is we shouldn't be surprised by it. Professionals sometimes have WhatsApp groups amongst mm. staff and friends and things get said, and it certainly was no justification in the proportional sense of what obviously took place. Mm. Now, just going back to the chronology, the letter, November 2013, landed in the Department for Education when Mike Rogov was the Secretary of State, and by February, March? Yeah, in early February, yeah. Yeah, there was a massive media frenzy. That went on for, I would say, solidly, non-stop, relentless for over a year, right? But in terms of yourself, you resigned. When did you resign? I resigned on the fifteenth of July, twenty fourteen. Okay, and and I do remember you you held it down for fair, you held it down for quite long. You, you five and a half months. It, yeah. Yeah. You you and you was it ex part of the part of the reason actually was that. They wanted me to resign because people had decided from the outset. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They wanted me to resign, so I received calls from various people, including uh, you know one MP as well, mm. trying to persuade me that I should resign. I said no, there'll be no resignation. I'm not going to resign. So because I refused to resign, so the pressure was being mounted through investigations. So we had so many. We we always had an investigation going on over five and a half months. We have the Ofsted investigations. Then we had the education funding investigations. Then we had the PwC account uh, what's financial. P what's PwC? Uh, the uh, the accountancy firm. P okay, yeah. PwC of course. Yeah. So they were doing a financial investigation. They found nothing in the end. Obviously, none of these there in the. So they were. So we always under 
investigations throughout this period, and this happened because I refused to resign. So the so the pressure was being mounted. If you are through the media campaign, lasted for five and a half months, uh, and that's because I refused to resign. How did that affect you mentally, at work, uh, at home? How did it affect you? I mean, I always knew that I was right, and we had done nothing wrong. There's no question about that. So I mean, I. I sort of fought every single allegation that was made, whether it's to do with uh, Peter Clark's report or Education Funding Agency report. In the media, I gave uh, you know maybe I don't know maybe a hundred interviews to te- television, to radio, to uh, so I tried to put my view out as best as I could, and uh, because quite frankly, we had done absolutely nothing wrong. And in my court hearing, you know, when we went and they said, "Well, Mr. Alam, these are the allegations made against you," I said, uh, "This is what I said to them." I said, "What court hearing?" I am very. Okay, can you take can you just tell the viewers and the listeners what, what, what court this, hearing was Yeah, this? the government eventually in uh, 2016, they, they barred me from uh, running uh, schools. So I then appealed this particular judgment uh, of managing and running schools. Mm-hmm. So I appealed this particular judgment and I told the, uh, uh, the, the court at the time that I'm extremely proud of what I've done in, uh, in the schools that we've done and the success that we've created for these children. And I don't regret any of it. And I nor do I apologize for any of it. And I contested at the time, of course, equally that, you know, many of these allegations that have been made in the school are, are, are fallacious. And, um, for example, uh, take Peter Clark's report as an example. Uh, Peter Clark never went into a single school. He produced the official uh, government report. And what is astonishing is that government, because they thought there was some terrorism and extremism and radicalization going on here, mm-hmm. uh, who did uh, the Secretary of State appoint to do the investigations? A former counter-terrorism course, police, Peter Clark. Peter Clark, Peter Clark of okay. course. So this gives you the mindset or the intention the lens. behind these interventions. Absolutely. Yeah. Although nothing was found regarding any of these things, even according to Peter Clark. But Peter Clark's report was really not uh, honest, uh, nor genuine. And the, he, and the language was very problematic, I found. Yeah, yeah, he was, because whilst the findings mm, was nothing, mm, the tone was there, right? Would you agree? Yes. The, the, the tone of it was there whilst there was nothing conclusive found. Mm. The fact that he put a seat, former CT officer to oversee mm. this, it was only ever going to go one way, even that's if there right, were yeah. findings or no. Yeah, that's right. Um, I'm going to ask you, about few elements and individuals in Birmingham. You're not obliged to respond or you're not obliged to even comment on it, but I would like to get your thoughts if you're in a capacity to comment. There were, what was the kind of help and support you got from the Muslim MPs from Birmingham? Let's start with Khalid Mahmoud, right? Um, I believe Birmingham and Perry Bar. Mm. Um, or is it Shabana Mahmoud as well? She's from Birmingham as well, She's right? She's from Birmingham as yeah. well, yeah. So, so what kind of support engagement, if any, uh, did you get from these MPs? Let's start with them first. Yeah, I mean, Khalid Mahmoud was always batting for the people who were kind of uh, associated with him, i.e. Henry Jackson Society, Society and Policy Exchange. The so he was batting for the opposition and um, you know, he, he, he went out of his way to give statements and uh, say things about the school and even myself, which were completely untrue. And he tried to make it into some kind of a sectarian dispute of some description, a Salafi plot and those kind of things. Against Sufis. That's right, yes, yes, yes. So he was really very uh, disingenuous and dishonest, really, in the way he was doing that. But maybe he was working for his masters. Okay. And, uh, you know, and he had to do that. So his role was very, very negative uh, in in all of that. Let me just Um, add to that. Khalid Mahmoud, you're a joke. Let me just say that. 
been very polite in describing you. I won't be. You've carved a career out of making enemies of your own people and your community. The same people that vote you in election after election. I would say to you and the people of Birmingham Perry Bar, the fact that you vote this man in election after election is a stain on yourselves. Khalid Mahmoud, you're a joke. And you are in fact... As Tahir Bais politely said, he's afforded you so much respect for a man you lied against. I'm telling you, you're a stain, you're an embarrassment. And you know what, quite frankly, I wouldn't wipe the doubt on my feet off you because that's what you've done to your community. And any man, any individual who harms his community and uses the Islamic faith to cause division at a time when everyone is against the community, quite frankly, you, we have no time for you. You're a joke. Moving on. Sorry, Tahir, but I had to get that out of the system. Right. Yeah. Shabana Yeah Shabana I did uh, uh, Communicate with Try to communicate With Shabana I think And she asked One or two questions In parliament I think that's as far As it's got I don't know Whether she did Any more behind the scenes Because politicians Sometimes the conversations Behind the scenes If you like And in sometimes that sense. They, would, they would argue Their hands are tied sometimes. That's right Yeah And I think That she was In the opposition Anyway mm. So uh, so she did Ask some useful Questions and things And nothing beyond That I think um, in that sense, but I think that the other person that did actually try to uh, question things, which we know from her uh, letter revelations, was uh, was um, uh, what's the Baroness uh, Warsi? Oh, was the Warsi? Saida Warsi. Yep. And I think she she sort of spoke about on the issue at the time, mm. and uh, she has said later in the book that uh, you know she uh, Michael Gove radicalized. Uh, uh, David Cameron, David Cameron uh, yeah. uh, as well in the whole affair because yeah. this matter was discussed in the cabinet office on a couple of occasions when Michael Go was there and also it was raised in parliament as well on a number of occasions. Yeah. And uh, the, uh, Peter Clark's report, for example, who also had worked with Michael Gove before at Policy Exchange. Yep. So they got kind of links and connections, if you like, in they that always sense. always is. Yeah. So one of the interesting things I want to sort of uh, highlight here in terms of these, um, you know, government reports was that they were, you know, they were predetermined, really, and they were going to crucify somebody regardless. And that's why they were a witch hunt. But uh, I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. Uh, for example, in the in the Clark Clark. Uh, in his report, he says that uh, the, in Parkview there was a terrorist um, that there was about appears to be uh, uh, there, there was a a terrorist video copied what appears to be a terrorist video. Now Peter Clark knows very well, and uh, he was told on a number of occasions that this video, in fact, was a panorama program, a BBC panorama investigative program. He knew that full well, but he decided to omit that bit of information to give the impression that there's something very wrong or potentially wrong with what the school was doing in, 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 in terrorist videos floating around for copying purposes. And of course, when by the time this item uh, got to the media, of course, one of the media headlines was that this terrorist video was also shown to students. students yep. Now, can you see how uh, uh, how something as innocent as if he says this was a panorama program, then there's nothing to be mentioned. Mm. Then he can just omit all of that. But there's no story there. Then there's no story. So this is how the Peter Clark. This is how Peter Clark's report was crafted, really, to manipulate and to mislead the reader into believing that there was something there. And to which omit in key fact facts. It was, that's right, yeah. And to omit key His facts. omissions were really on a colossal uh, scale. And this is why uh, what actually Peter Clark used, and, and, we, and it, was, it was referred to in Parliament as well, and he did it under parliamentary protection privilege, if you like, mm. was that he made, he took testimonies for people not under oath. 
which is a lot of people don't know. Mm, they think wow. that maybe he did some kind of investigation or some kind of corroboration of facts, verification of mm. facts. No, he didn't do that. He simply spoke to people under and offered them anonymity. They didn't have to declare their name, no oath, no nothing, no uh, uh, testifications of any description. And he took those testimonies. So whatever allegations they made, he tried to see which ones can be added to uh, to arrive at the conclusion that he was arriving at. This is what he did. So when he came to the court cases in the national, in the uh, NCTL hearings, the national uh, for the banning of the teachers, mm. when he came to those hearings, like what Peter Clark said, well, he wasn't prepared to turn up in court and defend his report. That's so crazy. his report could not be submitted as part of primary evidence at all. It could only be uh, a rumor or a, a background reading or something like that. So the courts did not t- take that in as primary evidence. Yeah, yeah, because Peter Clark wasn't prepared to defend his report. Although joke. they used it in Parliament, they used it obviously to pass so much, uh, <coughs> change so many uh, uh, laws with, uh, and regulations in education, as well as to beef up counter, um, you know, counter monitoring, uh, counter extreme extremism monitoring. Of course, as well as uh, counter. Uh, entries and policies. Of course, because we had the CTS mm. Act in 2015, which addressed Islamist <coughs> entryism, so like mm. to prevent Islamists from um, getting positions in public sector and mm. civil service jobs, and that was kind of like a year and a half, two years after the Trojan Horse, right? Um, I want to ask you something, uh, just just on the theme of like other elements that went well. There were rumours that uh, Christian missionary groups or or, or, f- or figureheads were somewhat involved uh, in this plot um, out of jealousy uh, the fact that there were Muslim schools that were doing impressively fantastically well uh, overachieving um, is there any truth to this? These were rumours that were, um, were circulating at the time That I did uh, notice some articles and some people did say that to me actually on a number of occasions they thought that they thought the sources might be somebody of Christian background, perhaps. Mm. Uh, but I don't think it's true. But what is true is that there were people, uh, you know, uh, the success of our schools, uh, to some extent, if I was fair, you know, did create some people who resented um, the fact that we had broken an established conclusion, yeah, which was that children from these backgrounds could not achieve. Now, this was an established motto held by the Department of Education, as well as the local authorities, and, and as well as, you know, much of the teaching fraternity as well. So what we done in this school was that we said that uh, through the uh, through the academic performance that, you know, these uh, social economic deprivation, cultural background or faith background, none of these reasons were actually insurmountable. So we had surmounted all of those reasons. So what we had a situation in Birmingham was that here we had our schools, which were kind of very highly achieving schools. Then we had all the neighboring schools, which were not doing so well. They were not doing so well. So the question then was, the traditional reasons that people gave was socioeconomic deprivation, education not important in the community, and so on. Those reasons were no longer valid. So uh, other governors, yeah, other governors then began to, other schools began to challenge the assumptions that had been made for decades that lower level of achievement was okay for these children. So then that this created some kind of resentment in the local schools because they were comfortably cruising along and celebrating a result of 30%. How wonderfully we've done. Yeah, mm. isn't that great? Let's have a big party. Mm. Uh, so those parties were getting ruined to some extent, possibly, what I can imagine. So I think there were some people who were 
involved in some of these schools who contributed uh, to the testimonies, if you like. So when Peter Clark asked for these testimonies, you know, they were in on the game. And, uh, and I'm sure that some of those teachers may have been of a Christian conviction, perhaps, and they felt that, you know, we were... Uh, we were what we were doing in the school was a bit too Islamic for them because some people actually believe, uh, you know, just just the political view they have, they don't believe there should be any religion in schools at all. Okay. So you will get those kinds of people who are secular, maybe or atheist, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. sometimes some Christians believe that as well. Yeah, so yeah. they, so those kind of people may have held those views, but nonetheless, this, our schools did nothing, absolutely nothing, mm-hmm. that was not within the regulations. Okay, yeah. so one of the accusations against me and printed in the media, I saw and made it against me within the legal hearing as well, was that you allowed too much religion to influence the school, so to speak, <laughs> which is an allegation I contested from A to Z, yeah. and um, you know, which which are, which uh, you know, uh, so so these were all exaggerations, really. Like for example, collective worship, you know, the whole uh, the, the, the 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 practice of collective worship, for example, the assemblies and so on. Peter Clark thought that that was actually Islamite the schools, that this was undue influence, whereas really he had no education background. So if you asked anybody within the education profession, for example, from the local um, government organization called SACRE, this was done and approved through them. So there was nothing wrong with these things at all. And, and, and I just want to reiterate, and this is under English law, it's absolutely allowed because under the Equalities Act, you're allowed to cater for the faith group of uh, children in schools, especially when it's like 80-90%. Are we correct about this? That's right, yeah, of course. So we made provision, for example, for children who wanted to pray, we made provision for them. Mm. Uh, And if they, during Ramadan, we altered, for example, the lunch hour because nobody's having lunch. Mm. So we make special arrangements for them to to be accommodated in that sense. And of course, we allowed uh, children to wear a dress that was appropriate for them, which was, you know, which was normal in awful lot of schools uh, up and down the country and is even now. But these things were made an issue of when really these were quite normal and uh, things that uh, were happening in, in, in many of the schools as well. But but this was not the point, really. My my inner feelings, and this is just my inner feelings, and, and, it, and it's based on the fact that Five Pillars, myself, I mean, I first met you um, in 2014, around about May time, when, when, when uh, the, the heat and the epitome and the peak of the moment, I came and saw you at your home. I was working for, I was doing a documentary for Press TV at the time. Do you remember? I, came I don't remember it, you know, I because know, I, I had so many yeah, media you, people you, you, coming. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I, was definitely less, I, I was definitely less well known back then. But I do remember you were smashing out interviews for jokes, one after one after one, national, regional, international. You're a very busy man. My hunch... This is just my feelings. Putting aside the very well-established, very well-known um, Islamophobic agenda by successive British governments, which kicked off with Tony Blair, ran right through to Gordon Brown, David Cameron, uh, May. It, it's been there. It's been there. They don't even, it's, not, it's not even a case where they hide it anymore. <clears throat> Let, let's put that aside. The post-9-11, post-7-7, war on terror, CVE narrative and lens in which Muslims are perceived and treated as. On a local level, I can't help but think that people were jealous of you and your achievements and the achievements of these schools. I cannot help that what you said, that there were certain parties that were happening for 30, 40% pass rates and you just came along and you smashed it at 60, 70%. Of course, people are going to hate you. Of course, people are going to be jealous of you. They're going to want to, because what you're doing, and, and, and 
it's an easy, cheap shot to now say that Islamizing the pupils because you're accommodating and providing provisions for their faith, whether it's fasting or prayer or Jumu'ah, wherever it may be, it's very easy and sneaky and snaky to now link uh, that and and to make out as if that that was Islamization. I think AP, a lot of people were just butthurt. They were butthurt at the fact that here we have schools in a part of Birmingham, which was kind of written off as underachieving, written off as never going to do well. Their futures were kind of already foretold. And um, over the years, under your leadership and your governance, I'm sure the hard work of many others, alhamdulillah. Indeed. Lots of other people. Lots of other people. And I would mention our principal. Uh, shout uh, give all the shout-outs. Yeah. I mean, give all the shout outs. But the point is, a lot of people don't realize actually the bizarre. No, name them. Name them and, the and big them up, yeah. inshallah. The lady who ran our schools, who was the uh, principal at the school and then chief executive at the school, her name is Lindsay Clark, and Be I ought to, to play credit to her. Yeah. So a lot of this success is due to her leadership uh, as well. And she actually is, by her own, prof- by, own by, by, by her own admission, she's an atheist and a feminist. Wow. So I am being accused of running a plot through an atheist and a feminist and also running a, a misogynistic program within these schools With the through a feminist... And an atheist as well. So this is the absurdity of these allegations. Wow. You know, simply forget everything else. Just simply through that, she's the one who is actually heading up the whole thing. She's running the school. I'm a director of the school, obviously. Did, did and Lindsay I, uh, back you and support you throughout? Yes, yeah, yeah, throughout. She was basically the Department for Education wanted to ban her from from working on, in schools Lindsay. as well. Respect you, so she, she, she stood with us actually from A to Z. Uh, because this was part of her work and she got OBE for her services Wicked. to excellence in 2011 to say 2012 you know under the new strict Ofsted framework mm. we were the first school nationally to score an outstanding judgment in all four categories sure. one 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 across four categories and you know there were 13 exemplaries mm-hmm. in the report 13 exemplary practices which is kind of unheard of we had the Times Educational Reporter at the time. So, she one, rang us. so one was like outstanding, yeah? Yeah, one is outstanding, yeah. You sure Khalid uh, didn't see him? was like, Ahad, 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 and saw yeah. that as Islamification. Or That's something. right. Tawheed, tawheed all the way. Yeah, Tawheed all the way, yeah. <laughs> but go That's on, right, back yeah. To, back to Lindsay and others. So this was her success, really, and she was leading the school. Yeah. So this is why, this is the absolute absurdity of these claims, that she was actually at the center of the whole thing. Mm. Um and lots of other people who contributed, teachers, you know, who were very dedicated, very committed to that. But by no means my achievement, if you like. I played my strategic role, if you like. But these are the people who worked on the cold face, you know, and who did the grafting and so on and, and gave success to these children. I mean, our success was, you know, our intake in the school. If you lived more than and more than 300 yards, sorry, 300 meters from the school, you're not going to get into school. Your child will not get into school because we operate a radius intake system. Of course. You will not get into the school. And the reason for that is that nobody from the area, because of the success of the school, people before this, they used to send their children to other schools. To branch to do well, to better schools. They used to send them out. Now they're not By the time we finish with this, by the time we sort of turn the school around, Mm. you know, in the area, nobody wanted to send Ah. their children. We had people, we had one lady actually spoke to us from Westminster. (laughs) She moved from here to London and, um, sorry, from London to Birmingham. And she said, I did some research and stuff. And uh, she she was well off, 
and uh, she bought, she rented a house within the 300 meters just so of the get, school just so, so she, she can send her children there and then she can move out and she didn't live there she just rented it so she could get in because she said i looked at this school and she said stood outside the school and she saw uh, what happened and she wrote an article i think as well during the trojan os affair Good. as well so so the school you know was transforming lives in that that's sense that's so beautiful to hear and I, and, and, I'm, and i'm smiling and i'm smirking is is one of actually i'm i'm proud of it you know just hearing this you know from you after many years again on the podcast wallahi is so refreshing to hear that that was the transformation of the area of the children that were there the fact that it is so well known that you and it's such a common practice where you send your children to another school and let's be frank about it desi parents do it all the time we always send it to a school where there's more white kids because we think that kid that school will do better that's right look we're from bedford they're doing luton we had reversed that trend yeah and you reversed that trend and then mm. the haters came out and they plotted and they did what they did so besides lindsay who else is worthy of a big shout out that oh, we had some well. outstanding inam was one of our outstanding teachers people like razwan whenever they were inspected for example they scored outstanding in ofsted mm. this was there. And, and we had many other good teachers uh, excellent teachers as well uh, the other principal we had was hardeep singh saini for example these were really dedicated people you know mm. they they were very sincere very hard working and they played a played a very important role in 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 the success uh of the school which actually was we took us basically a long time to build this success actually over a period of time but when the interventions came by the secretary of state of course within months the schools were destroyed and they went they were put into special measures artificially to begin with of course then the school results went down to 40% in, you know in parkview school from 75 they went down to 40% wow. and recently just a few months ago our other academy the nansen academy we improved that school when we took over that school it results for 49% the following year 61% the following year 71% our prediction was 83% for the year coming mm-hmm. before when we were attacked but the school now recently is results are in the 30% now and it's gone into special measures so the wow. failure of these the schools not just these ones or the other schools are similar in the area mm. So we now are faced with a very tragic kind of uh, who's over, so who's trajectory. Over, who's overseeing these schools now? Who's taken over your position? Who's taken over your role? Yeah, when when I resigned in July 2015, the Department for Education uh, replaced us, and uh, I insisted that you know there should be Muslim representation on the replacement trustees. Mm. Otherwise, I will not resign, and you'd have to go through court and withdraw the funding and so on. It's, mm. It'd be a messy process for doing that. Mm. And I didn't want to harm the interest of the school. Of course, in, you know it was my sort of a, my main objective. But it was an important condition and point that you yeah. made. Of so, course. So, so I, I put. Um, so I did uh, uh, insist on that, and 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 they put uh, one person who was the Muslim from Muslim faith background. It's few other people as well, a couple of other people as well. But of course, soon as um, very soon after that, of course, they removed um, uh, those trustees and replaced them uh, and with replaced them with uh, three other trustees who are now the uh, uh, running the, the Parkview. What was the Parkview Education now called Rockwood uh, uh, Trust? Who are they? And they basically are not one of them is of the Muslim faith background hmm. in a ninety nine percent Muslim pupil school. So that says a lot about um you know equality that says wow. a lot about people's intentions wow. so nobody so this is the department for education doing that so it's not some spurious guy doing it the department of education officials have insisted that this be the formula how long did that interim muslim uh, board last for the one that replaced you initially how long did they last for before they were uh, removed i think uh, 
probably some months really, not very long. Wow. And what was the reason for their removal or their replacement? Yeah. Not only one of the trustees was uh, of, of, of Muslim faith okay, background. What, what was the reason for, for him? Whatever the reasons were, I mean, they're not being communicated to okay. me, obviously. I'm okay. not privy to that information. But the okay. fact of the matter is they've been removed. Okay. And uh, nobody saw it fit that in a 99% Muslim people's school, you ought to have some representation Absolutely. from the community. 100%. But no, no, that's not what's required. So, so... Um, so it's counter counter entryism is what's operating counter here. Counter absolutely. <laughs> That's right, yeah. you, you, so well, those you, factors, yeah, from the due diligence people, um, you know, they played their role, they played their part in ensuring that this school, you know, is moves in a different direction, if you like, from that point of view. Wow. Two points I want to go back to, just kind of like bring it back a bit, a little bit. Um, the events building up to your resignation, right? You resisted for about five, five and a half months. Um, what was the nail in the coffin that basically thought, okay, I'm going to resign? Yeah, by this time, the way the process works, simplify it for listeners please, really. Please do. The way the process works is that um, for there to be an intervention in these schools, the schools had to go into a special... We were a charitable trust, an independent charitable trust. So, so we were an independent legal entity running the Academy's Trust. Uh, so for us to be, uh, uh, for the Secretary of State to have the power to intervene... Daiba, I'm so sorry because I need to ask just for clarity yeah. again. So, so this is not a state school? This is uh, an academy. Okay. Uh, it is a state-funded school. So it's a state-funded school? Yes. Okay. But, but it's an academy, uh, you know, based uh, and f- uh, formulated on a foundation that's established, which is like a charitable trust. Got you. Okay. Right, right got you. So, so you have to uh, establish this trust to run the school. Okay. Uh, that's the way the system works. So we... Um, so this trust is uh, um, was was established. Oh, sorry, I've got the point now. No, the point I was going to ask you is that the the, 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 the events building up to your resignation. That, yes, that's right. Yeah, that, that it, mm. it, it was understood and perceived that you were resisting quite strongly um, until refusing right, would be the more accurate yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. But number quite bluntly. Okay, okay, refusing, resisting, whatever. The point is, you you felt that you were on the huck and you were on the huck and you and you and you did not want to. Ex- That's you know, right. Accept, admit. Ad- admit something that you were not guilty Absolutely, of. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so, so, tell me about um, the the events building up to mm. the resignation. Yeah. So, initially, the, the important point to mention here is that initially, when the schools were inspected, the schools were not taken into special measures. Uh-huh. The Secretary of State then sent back the inspectors again in a very unusual, irregular move to come and fail the schools. So they came back and they failed the schools to put them into special measures, uh-huh. so the intervention can be made. Uh, so after that, we received warning notices from the Department for Education saying that unless you do this, that and the other, you know, we will be, uh, you know, we will take further action. Yeah, because you are not meeting the regulatory requirements and so on. So we, we responded to all of that. And then, you know, it takes a few months for that to be processed. Uh, so by the time July came, of course, we had, but we had now received uh, threats to terminate the finances. So this is the last straw, if you like. Turning off the taps of funding, yeah. Funding, yeah. So basically, we would not be able to spend any money anymore. Um, yeah. So, so, um, so we then uh, suffocate Well, th- that's one of the mechanisms that the government has that they can withdraw the withhold the funding, if you like, Even effectively. Th- so, so, so again, just on a technical question, mm. why does it? If 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 the school was being funded by the again, please forgive my ignorance, but I'm sure many viewers and listeners are going to be wondering this. Mm. If the school was funded by central government. 
Um, was it under the LEA's authority? Of course it no, would be. Not LEA, under central government. So we have two types of systems. So you have the... LEA model? LEA model, and then you have what the academies are run directly was by to- central government. And that was a Tory That was a Tory thing, wasn't it? If, if I'm correct. Conservatives kind it of... It was a policy to academize all schools in absolutely, the country. Absolutely. Correct, yeah. so, so why is there a need of a charitable trust if the main source of funding is from the government? It's to do with uh, basically uh, franchising, if you like, Ah. or privatizing schools effectively. Wow. Okay? So what that means is privatizing, not for sort of personal benefit. I mean, the the, the people trust, they wouldn't be beneficiaries of it, but other people, for example, a business interest, for example, or parents groups could set up these academy schools, academy Mm. chains. Mm. And many of these schools are. And I think perhaps, you know, what was envisaged was that, you know, maybe some of these... um, uh, perhaps rich Tories and rich people, more affluent people, would establish these academies. And what actually was uh, perhaps unexpected was that well, Mus- some local parents here yeah, who happen to be of Muslim faith yeah. background yeah. Who might also take up the same piece of legislation yeah. and do exactly what was proposed. And I, we do it very successfully. Have, that wasn't anticipated. Yeah, I have a far more candid way of place now could just imagine the kind of conversation that might have taken place uh pertaining to the p word and the m word and the curry munching word for yeah we thought we were going to do it and then the, the, these junglies went and done it you understand? and that would have that would have that would have burned them but so that so that so the I've, I've got the model so, now so, so we received the notification for funding the termination stopped. of funding wow so so that can be withdrawn you know, in a, in a fairly straightforward way, really, unless we take the government to court over the whole issue. And that is quite complicated in terms of those things. Anyway, but what happened was that, you know, people are getting very tired. The head teachers were telling me, Tahir, do we, we've been doing this for five and a half months. Do we run the school or do we fight the media? You know, people are... Because they were parked outside the schools. These are education people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had the vans, the uh, media vans parked out for five and a half Constantly. months. I mean, it was a bit insane, but they found it very difficult to deal with because they're just teachers, yeah. you know, and um, and they found it very difficult. And in the end, I think, you know, they got, they were saying to me, perhaps to hear, you know, uh, if you resign, maybe we can carry on, you know, and the sky, because what, I, what interested me was what I was asked this particular question, right? Mm-hmm. This was put to me by a principal. Uh, he said to me, um, Tahir, do you think, are you going to win against the government of this country? And you're going to continue to run Parkview Education Trust when clearly the Prime Minister, the government here, yeah, doesn't want you to and run Secretary it. Of State to Are you going to win against that? Yeah. And what was your you response? Know, I, I kind of sat back and I said, well, the answer has to be no. I mean, I'm not going to be able to do that. Mm. And, but I said, I'm right and I'm not going to resign because that would be an admission of guilt is the reason why. So I kind of got a, an indication. They didn't ask me to resign, to be honest. They didn't do that. They respected me, I think, too much for that. For so, them to so, say that. I, so at what point were you like, okay? So then it, it kind of uh, put their view. Um, so I kind of considered their view then, really. Um, and and uh, then I sort of did a an arrangement with the Department for Education. I said that, look, the leadership, this, uh, because I said, I am interested in preserving the success of the school. 100%. As long as that's guaranteed, it doesn't matter about me. I'm mm. prepared to swallow the pill, mm-hmm. if you like, yeah? Mm-hmm. In that sense. So this is the conversation I had with them. So they assured me uh, at the time and in writing as well that the current leadership of the school who had built the success of the school, they would continue and the trustees would resign. All three trustees, myself and two others. Yeah. One of my fellow trustees was um, uh, Dave Hughes, uh, you know, who was, um, uh, who was a Christian background person mm-hmm. and director who served with me in the school for many years. 
And uh, so because of these considerations, I then decided to resign with a view that, you know, at least if the leadership and the structure below me kind of remained in place, then the success at least would maintain. Otherwise, was that promised the entire you? success... Yes, was that promised you by DFE? Yes, yes. In was. writing? In writing, yeah. Okay. But they obviously wasn't done through lawyers or anything. Mm. So obviously um, it wasn't binding in that sense, but there was an agreement done. Okay. Um, and uh, on that basis... Um, I resigned with a view that, you know, as, as the success of the school would continue. But, but of course, the school results plummeted. Mm. And, you know, what's funny about the credibility of these Ofsted inspections is this. Just rewind the question. So would you mm. say the, the DFE didn't actually stick to their... No, they didn't, of course. Because soon as... So this was in July. Now, this is the, the, one of the last days in summer. Yeah. So when the teachers came back in September and I told them, I told the leadership team as well, I said, yeah. I, my personal view is that you know they will they will force you out and you'll not be they, they will not you know necessarily honor that you know so they I, I personally made them aware of that but nonetheless um when they, when they came back in september on the third second day in september they were given all suspension notices and they were told to go off site take their belongings and disappear from the school never to return again and subsequently they were all pursued for barring as well and uh, one thing I ought to mention here regarding the barring of our teachers uh, was that they, when the, when the case went to the Department for Education, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, when the Department of Education pursued the case through uh, NCTL, mm. <coughs> which well, is a kind well, of a professional body okay. that looks after the, the licenses for the teachers, okay. you know, we give, issues yep, them yep, licenses. Yep, 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 yep. They wanted to bar them for doing that. When he went to the court, the Department for Education said that they had not used Peter Clark's report, that's the anti-terror chief, his report, they said that we have not used testimonies from his uh, report. Well, uh, cutting a long story short, they argued this from the outset, and then it transpired through one of the disclosures at the end that in fact they, did they had used of course they did. in the formulation of the allegations against the teachers, the Department wow. for Education had used... Uh, the uh, testimonies produced by Peter Clark, which were not tested, not declared, kept anonymous, but they were being used. So when that matter came to light, the department then had to answer those questions. Mm. And the panel then obviously took a position on the issue. And they said, can you come and explain to us as to why we were misled, we were lied to and Mm. deceived over over a two-year period on this particular point? So it wasn't like a flippant oversight of something, whatever, but you consistently had this time for two years. Why did you do that? The, the department then decided to basically just um, not contest anything and just withdraw. Rather than come and answer, they basically allowed the cases to be dismissed. Wow. You know, um, brothers and sisters and friends uh, who have listened and watched this podcast so far, if you understand the treachery involved by a government which should actually look after the welfare of its citizens and most importantly, its children. And most importantly, the most isolated and discriminated uh, children in the whole country. This is a type of khiana. It's treachery. This is what it is. You give people your word in the case that the DFE, whilst it wasn't legally binding, but then what do you do? Within months, you start giving out suspension orders. You want to, you want, you're, you're pursuing uh, barring orders. This is, this is a type of treachery. From, from, considering that the government is where you find your security. Government is where... The, look the, for you, justice. Look for justice. Yeah, fairness, but, but, yeah. Here, but here we have a situation where an area and various schools up to 20 were overachieving. They were written off. 
this 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 scandal, this this alleged plot that we know now know is non-existent, was entirely politicized and sensationalized, destroyed children's education, mm. destroyed lives, mashed up people's mental health and all sorts. Right? Not everyone is the strongest mm. Baba here. Keep that in mind as well. Not everyone, as he rightly mentioned, the teachers are not media personnel. They're not media spokesmen. So I mean I would just say to be a delay, just interrupting you there, but a lot of teachers actually suffered from depression for years. And some of them suffered, uh, you know, marital issues and problems because it, it really, sh- it, it had a very detrimental effect on them. Brother Razwan, he said in an interview with Roshan, uh, in the big picture, he said that he was he had a spiritual crisis, mm. right? That that was all li- li- linked to this. Right. So, you know, it's just, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that on book, on, mm. on paper, you're supposed to turn to the government for support. For justice, for to do the right thing, to want the best result, and at the very least, you'd want them. If you're not going to go after Islamist entries, at least look after the affairs of the kids, right, and their future. Now nah, they just came and stampeded and, and steamrolled all of that out and did what they did, and, and now, now now all the schools are failing and everybody's happy. Yeah, and uh, and and this is the, the tragedy of it. To be honest, there's the individual wow. impact, right, on myself and other people. And to be honest, um, I don't want to minimize any of that, but the real issue for me and what actually bothers me even to this day and maybe on a daily basis is that the, 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 the fortunes of these children, the education success of these children could be so different, could have been so different for thousands and thousands of these children. What we have now is there's no accountability from the community because people from the community are not involved in the echelons of uh, the decision making uh, of power and so on, of course, because that's how you hold people to account. So that that's not happening anymore. These schools are schools are now consistently underachieving, and nobody's asking any questions whatsoever. Department of Education is silent. Ofsted are silent. Everybody's wow. silent. Nobody's doing anything about that. Mm. So this situation, unfortunately, is now going to continue for decades mm. because there is no. Um, because there's no there is no participation from these communities because they'll be checked by entryism, yeah. and if somebody raises too many questions, they are referred to uh, referred to prevent, for example, and Could other due, due diligence yeah, yeah. agencies and, and channel programs, and, 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 and that's what the, the, that's what's been happening. I'm, 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 I mean, look, the Islamophobic Trojan horse scandal. Let's call it, that's what it is. It's an Islamophobic. Uh, scandal, uh, which was presented as a plot that never really existed in its remotest sense. In, in, in my judgment, Dili, there is no, I mean, it's quite a unique um, uh, uh, sort of situation that in my ban, in barring order there from no many institutions, there was no I'm, mention, I'm was not it? accused of any conspiracy. Yep. So in other words, there's this plot, I'm running conspiracy with myself, mm. internal to myself, which mm. is an oxymoron, of course, mm. but apparently I ran this conspiracy myself for which I been barred so what was the, so so you resigned in july 2014 yes when were you then uh banned the barring order came in 2015 the initial one and then i kind of launched the appeal process and so on okay and the actual hearing was in 2017 what's the status of this uh permanent barring as it, as it, as it, it is indefinite yeah. uh, but you you, are, you can appeal mm. uh, after three years okay uh, so i'm i'm considering some kind of an appeal uh now because the appeal is due but none the, but one of the challenges for me with the appeal of course is that I have maintained from the outset 
that I've got nothing to apologize for, mm-hmm. then I did absolutely nothing wrong whatsoever. Indeed, I'm very proud of what I've done mm. in these schools. And uh, so, so when you ask for a lifting of the barring order, one of the things they look for is that... Remorse. Remorse, if regret. you like. Yeah. Remorse Admission. or regret. And that's not something I'm ever going to do. I'll okay. take that to my grave. So okay. this is my predicament, if you like, okay. that I find myself in. <sighs> okay, so um, there's that. And then there's... Uh, if, if you're saying to me that the, a plot, a scandal, a, a plan, an agenda was never mentioned or cited when that permanent ban was given to you, what was then cited? Technical uh, breaches, uh, I mentioned two of them here just for yeah. illustrative purposes. One Go- of them was that allowed, I allowed, not that I instructed, but in my organization, I had allowed uh, too much religion to be mm. prevailing within the school. Oh, so, okay. so this uh, undue religious influence is the allegation. Now, the funny thing is that the the people who supposedly had introduced these un, uh, uh, inappropriate reli- or undue religious well, influences, they, they were never, they were people, against, the allegation against whom collapsed in the NCTL allegations. So the claims that are being leveled against me in my hearing are to do with other what other people have done in the school. Okay. And the allegation against them, they collapsed in the NCTL case. But were upheld against you. Yeah, but they've but they've been they've contributed to my uh, me being found guilty. Okay. Which is completely wrong and out of order. And in fact, uh, what is really what I found really surprising and kind of destroyed my uh, uh, confidence in the justice system here to some extent. To be honest with you, to a large extent, because uh the law the regulation under which uh, i was barred mm. uh, section uh, uh 208 uh, i think no 128 mm. and the education skills act that particular regulation was crafted in response to the peter clark report <laughs> and i was then oh, barred uh, retrospectively the legislation the regulation was applied retrospectively to myself uh to bar me and we argued at the time that this was wrong, that why are you barring me on a retrospective uh, regulation? But people didn't see anything wrong with that. They thought it was quite reasonable. And I thought that, you know, maybe in some kind of very extreme circumstances where people have done some really awful things, maybe, you know, uh, that, that you might make an exception. But the, non, the general course, uh, course of events and for justice, of course, is that you don't apply legislation retrospectively. But that's not. completely unjust. But it was done to me in, in, uh, with respect to this particular regulation, which was crafted for myself. Would you say, you know, you know, you were very, pol- you very politely and respectfully said that, you know, it's, um, it's dented your confidence in the British justice system to some extent. Um, many will be listening and watching this podcast thinking, that's very, very generous of you. There sounds like there was no justice in in you know or any 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 kind of proportionate mm. justice, and and you, we we keep finding Peter Clark's report things going back to that where there was no conclusive uh, findings about a plot or an agenda or any criminal activities taking place yet this report all is finding itself in Parliament in court cases. That's right, and and. It, it, I mean, I can't help but think that was an example made of you, an example made of you to tell any other Muslim educators that don't you dare ever try help your people 
and help those areas that we deem to be written off for the remaining of their future. Mm. I, that's how I feel. I, I, I feel that you had a perhaps, lot. Of- perhaps I'm being generous, and perhaps you're right there, really. Okay. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I do believe from A to Z. You know, the, all the government agencies were very dishonest. People were lying on the stand. Ofsted inspectors stood, stood there and lied. And I, I tell you one of those lies, just to get, as an example. Come on. Imagine, so this uh, Trojan horse affair is running in national media. National media, it's running for three weeks. And uh, the Nansen Academy uh, inspection takes place. Mm-hmm. So I asked the principal that uh, when the inspectors come, uh, I want to speak to them first before they go around the school. So make sure they don't go around the school without talking to me first. Okay. So she invites me over and I go and I want to speak to them first. And they oblige. They're waiting for me to come. So I said, uh, can you advise me on the brief of your inspection? So what are you here for? Exactly. So what's your brief? So they explain the brief to me. Uh, and then I say to them, you're not here for the Trojan horse affair, uh, uh, are you? with the Trojan horse offensive that's going on. It's going, so you're not here for that. Mm-hmm. And and they both looked at each other and, and swear to God, no exaggeration, they both looked at each other like this. Mr. Alam, what's Trojan horse affair? They were pretending... That they didn't know. That they didn't know, knew nothing about the Trojan horse affair. And we are in week three of national media... When Constant, they, day they were, in, day they, when out. When they came coverage. into the school, there were vans parked outside. But they didn't But know. they didn't notice anything. No, mm. absolutely they didn't. Maybe they thought they were there for them and upon yeah. their arrival. And then the lady that I sort of spoke to, she yeah. she then uh, wrote a testimony. The the lead inspector wrote a testimony saying that Mr. Alam was very aggressive and she felt threatened by Mr. Alam. So one of the things they tried to depict me as is I was some kind of an aggressive guy pushing yeah. the agenda yeah. and... Um, and people were afraid of me. So I had witnesses against me. I had three witnesses. They're in the podcast. The three witnesses mm-hmm. uh, are mentioned in the podcast. Yep. And those three are the primary witnesses against me. Well, well some of the primary witnesses against me is Ofsted and them three, basically. There's, mm-hmm. there's uh, uh, pretty much nobody else. Uh, they were uh, husband, wife, and a son. All three are testifying against me. Wow. Can you imagine? Very, very, so very, all very impartial. Fair and justice, very yeah, impartiality very impartial, underpins the entire thing, doesn't it, really? So, and I was allowed no disclosures of any discussion. I asked for the minutes of the meeting for the uh, between Michael Gove and uh, Albert Ball, who's city council uh, leader at the time. Mm-hmm. We, 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 we made, at least, I think, nine or ten attempts to get disclosures of these minutes, mm. but they wouldn't have any of them. And the reason for that was that they were not accusing me of a conspiracy. So therefore, any evidence related to anybody else could be kept out. And by the way, my, in my barring order, what the DFE have argued is that this has got nothing to do pretty much with Trojan Horse Affair at all. Now, anybody who believes that, <laughs> that you know, uh, needs their head examining, but this is the allegation. After all of that. All the, they said, yeah, that's right. I'm barred for basically uh, under one, Section 128, which, me, which says... Basically, that my conduct was personal conduct was so inappropriate oh, wow. that it makes me inappropriate to run schools and mm. academies. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the broad umbrella and what they've done. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm not. <clears throat> so, so my barring order really hasn't got anything to do with the Trojan horse letter yeah. or the Trojan horse affair at all. Wow. And therefore, none of the disclosures, none of the disclosures related to the Trojan horse affair, could be made available to my defence. And that's the reason why when I asked for the minutes of the meeting, 
between Michael Gove and Sir Albert Bo. We gave them the date. This is the date the meeting took place. Can we have the minutes of the meeting to prove that this was kind of organized, if you like, or orchestrated? Mm-hmm. And the moral panic uh, uh, within the context of which these inspections, these reports were produced, you know, could be demonstrated that they were not normal Ofsted inspections. They were not normal education funding inspections. These were not normal recommendations. Yeah? This was an Appointed inquisition. anti-terror chief. These were not normal things. This was an inquisition. Yeah. And that was denied to us from A to Z. Wow. I think that's a, a cue to kind of bring the podcast to a close, but I do want to ask you th- two things. Uh, firstly, um, the serial podcast by New York Times. Um, it was carried out by Dr. Uh, is it Hamza Saeed? Hamza Saeed, yeah. Hamza Saeed. Um, it, was a, it was a local... Uh, and uh, Brian Reed, yeah. Brian Reed, yeah. I mean, uh, how much communication did you have with, with, with the team who produced the podcast? Um, I mean, there was a suggestion in the media uh, that, you know, they were... You know, depicting me as some kind of a hero, maybe, and they were partial towards me. Well, let me, that, that was the accusation well, let, that was made. Let, let me just be partial. I mm. think you're a hero. I mean that. I think what you achieved with Allah's permission mm. and the support that you had, I think you're a hero. And I think the way you've dealt with it has been very courteous and very gentlemanlike and actually very reflecting and befitting of a believer. So I'm going to be partial and I'm going to say, I think you're a hero. Bun what they say or anyone else says, mm. carry on. Yeah, that's very kind of you. No. Um, so, so when they came initially, they said, you know, we'd like to do an interview. You, we are interested in doing the story. So I never mm. met them before. Mm. They came and uh, I didn't think much of it because I've spoken to so many uh, journalists, really. And I just, they came and I told them what the truth was and so on. And they said, you know, we want to do a, a detailed investigation. We've decided. Um, and uh, will you cooperate with us? Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and I said, yeah, I said, I'm interested in the truth. And if truth is what you're looking for. Uh, then I am with you. It's not a problem. I'm happy to give my time and so on. And to be frank, they gave me tough time as well, uh, a lot of tough time. Mm. I didn't realize that they would come and visit me quite a lot of times because they put, kept on putting every so how scenario many, so to how me. So how many times did they visit you? Um, and who was visiting? Uh, was, 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 was Baba Hamza visiting Brian, as well? Brian as well. The phone no. conversations, okay. you know, and those kind of things. Okay. Because they were putting certain facts to me, questioning me, uh, all kinds of theories, testing my credibility as well, the consistency of my story. Well, at least they're carrying out journalism. Yeah, so they gave me a tough time, yeah. to be honest, on, on many things, because they wanted they wanted the truth and they were putting things to me. And whatever they were doing in the background, I'm not privy to those things, okay. but this is my kind of perception of, of them. Yeah. And after about a couple of years, I kind of gave, the, I said, you know, how long will it take? And they said, oh, it'll be, t- take maybe a couple of years, you know, something like this. And to be honest, I forgot after about two years what they were doing or not doing in one mm, sense. Mm. It became a bit quiet and whatever. And then they came out with the podcast, obviously, after many of those. Then the COVID came and they didn't want to maybe release it through the COVID period or something. And then the podcast came out and I was um, happy. I was surprised, actually, as, as to how far they got in their investigation and the, some of the disclosures they were able to make. You're, you're, you're pleasantly surprised and happy? I was pleasantly surprised as to you know, how much they managed to unearth, actually, and the tenacity with which Good. they actually pursued uh, the goals that they pursued mm. and the people and their, the way they sort of, um, uh, you know, uh, they wanted to investigate, uh, which I wasn't sure about why they wanted to do that, to be honest. 
they wanted to establish the origins of the letter. Mm. You know, that was the line they kind of took yeah, in all but of that, that. Yeah, but that's because the origins of the letter is something exciting. There's there's, mm. there's, 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 a, there's a cinematic uh, feel to it. You know, mm. it's like a bit of an Indiana Jones kind of mm. thing. Who wrote this letter? Even I'm curious who wrote that letter. For all you know, God could have wrote it himself. I mean, I'm, if I, I know we're not betting men and we're not betting people and we never have been and never will be, inshallah. But there is that thing, who wrote the letter? That's right. And I guess that that kind of brings in uh, viewership and listeners, and then obviously I, th- I think they've done the, a fantastic job. The podcast job. does disclose actually, uh, or point at I should say really, mm. who might have wrote the letter. So they have a theory they are pursuing, theorizing. Okay. And uh, so it's very interesting to listen to. So people are not listening to the podcast; they okay. should do so. Okay. It does make a very compelling. Intriguing listening, actually, for, for, if people have not done that. For those who are not going to listen to it for whatever reason, but have listened to this podcast, who do they allude to in their theory? That is this. Well, it's not for me to say. I think I leave it to the podcast. Okay, to, fair to, enough. To show. I like that. That's, we that's, gotta have some. Um, yeah, that's good. That's good to call. No, that's good to call. Um, last question: What are you doing now then? What, how you, how, what have you been doing since two thousand and fifteen? I've been uh, sort of doing private tutoring. You know individual uh, tutoring and giving some advice to some people on education mm. so uh, and uh, doing some private consultancies here and there just advising people so that's what I've been doing uh, do you miss your old job over this period uh, yeah I mean I, I worked as an officer inspector uh, for many years and um, as a school improvement consultant I mm. worked with association of Muslim schools I mm. used to inspect Muslim schools so uh, and working with teachers and parents and children you know all of that scene you know I love that you know mm. and um by the way, uh, my main, most of my involvement, um, uh, vast majority of my involvement in these schools was in a voluntary capacity, uh, which some people might be a little surprised by. But but uh, uh, you know, I did that as a volunteer, but when not I was, as a paid about, person. Yeah, when I was, I was in terms of time. It must have taken up your time doing that, though, right? Because yeah, awful lot of time. Yeah, yeah that's so, right. Yeah. So so I guess what I was asking: Have you replaced that time with, with what you've just mentioned, right? I do a, quite a lot of reading, so I don't get bored or anything. Okay, I love reading, and I'm a very social um, uh, animal as well, you okay, might say. Yeah, yeah, you so are, I, got, you I had many friends, and um, although I lost some friends in education, obviously, because they became fearful. Okay, and I'll tell, tell you what, association. Yeah, yeah, they didn't want to be associated with me because mm. of the risk that would pose for them in their professional career. So, for example, one head teacher, um, after the Trojan horse affair, he came, uh, he said he wanted to visit me. Uh, so when he came to my house, he said, uh, uh, Tahir, I hope you don't mind, but can you uh, take the batteries out of your phone? I have taken out batteries out of my phone already. Can you take the batteries out of your phone? And I kind of thought he was joking. And then I kind of realized a few oh, moments wow. later that he wasn't joking, actually, because he feared that if so, he feared that I would be monitored. You know, because uh, one of the things, actually, I didn't... Uh, because... I had done absolutely nothing wrong and um, I was in this sort of, um, uh, I had a false sense of um, feeling that there was nothing wrong in one sense, yeah, but uh, I spoke to one journalist and uh, he, he, he told me to hear, I told him about this incident. So anyway, I took the batteries out and we went and chatted and whatever, all mm. the rest of it. And because the, he was a, he was a, he was a, he was a principal in a, in a school. Mm. So he didn't want any association with me. And he further, he thought that, you know, my phone would be monitored. And if they link the two phones together, then it's a plot. Then basically, then I'm part of the Trojan horse plot, if you like. And then they will pursue him. And his fears were not un, uh, unfounded because many head teachers 
who were associated with me, they were inspected. And one of them had to resign. They did investigations into him three times. In the end, he got fed up and he left the profession. Because they couldn't find anything wrong, but they wouldn't let him go. It's just harassment. But they're harassing him, yeah. It's just harassment. So other head teachers were also harassed and had to leave. And they moved to other schools. Some of them resigned to protect their careers and moved. So this, all of these things, they did happen. Uh, so this was the this is one of the impacts really uh, of that. So I did lose many friends, uh, but I kept myself busy. I like reading, so I didn't have a problem with uh, books. Are great company. I know. So, I'll know. Ju- so 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 last question to you. I know you 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 you're a, you you're a big reader. Um, ever thought about writing your story? Uh, yeah, I am uh, writing something now. So okay. I think that I like to write uh, my version of the events actually regarding the whole thing. So yes, I'm writing something. Alhamdulillah. Hopefully I can uh, push it through to publication uh, you know, sooner than later. Inshallah. Dahir Bhai, it was an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, pleasure to be on. Khair. And, I, and I think that as someone who has closely followed the way you've handled this um, since 2014 when I first met you outside your home, and then just following the entire Trojan horse uh, story up until now, I think you've de- you've dealt with it very graciously, my brother. That's very kind of and, and, and and I think you've you've shown fantastic decorum. Um, you've shown fan- fantastic integrity um, against the state, and people rarely win against the state. The mm-hmm. state is not there to be defeated. We can't always be Dr. Salman Butts who get apologies. You know, we're, we're not that privileged, mashallah. Big gunshots to you, Salman, by the way. But most cases, they're not. We don't win against states when the machine of the state is against you. And you literally mm-hmm. said you got government uh, representatives and Ofsted officers lying, right? That's the kind of tsunami you were against. But I think, alhamdulillah, I think you came out very well. And I think. Your reward will be in this life and inshallah in the next as well. Brothers and sisters, I hope you thoroughly enjoyed that podcast as much as I did. Um, Please do go over to the New York Times serial podcast uh, by Dr. Hamza Sayed. Um, And what was the other gentleman's name? Brian Reed. I keep forgetting his name, Brian Reed. Uh, Do check that podcast out. I've not finished it yet. I'm kind of midway. And um, I think today's podcast, in, in, in in a very shortened way, tells you. The actual plot was not on the side of Brother Tahir or the Muslims of Birmingham. The plot was from the heart of government. That's what we can at least conclude from this. The plot to derail the successes of uh, various, more than a dozen schools in the Birmingham area. Um, to derail the success uh, and, and the huge achievements that was done under the leadership of not just Bavatar here, but those who were around him over the course of these years. Um, and to just kind of just reiterate, sadly, the, the reality that Muslims sadly find themselves in. But... Like Baba Tahir has shown us to remain resilient, to remain firm upon our beliefs and our values on justice and consistency. And when you've not done anything wrong, there is no reason for you to admit uh, any guilt or wrongdoing when you've done nothing wrong and you've actually only done good. Uh, Brothers and sisters, remember to subscribe to the Five Pillars YouTube channel. Remember, you can find this podcast on all the audio platforms. And until next time, Assalamu Alaikum wa Rahmatullahi wa Barakatuh. Blood Brothers Podcast, a five-headed production. production.